Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Nikias Duncan is in the building. Every time he comes on, everyone who listens to the show just absolutely loves it. Nikias works for Basketball News, and he's written and talked a lot about the James Harden deal, so I wanted to have him on. How's it going, man? I am doing well um i'm glad that there's nothing happening right now uh, yesterday ended up being <laughs> being very hectic but uh, i'm doing well man just living the life that is good to hear uh yesterday i woke up and saw some of the reporting from sam amick and shams over at the athletic saying like look they're actually trying to make this happen sooner rather than later with james harden and then by the time you know, nine, 10 o'clock over here in Australia rolled around. Uh, it was done. And I guess that I'll just ask you, are you surprised that this James Harden deal, which we'll delve into the particulars of what all four teams in this trade got, the Indiana Pacers, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Brooklyn Nets are all involved with the Houston Rockets in this trade. Uh, are you surprised that this got done so quickly after James Harden decided to go scorched earth uh, in the middle of a press conference on what I guess that would have been Tuesday night? Uh, no, I'm not surprised it happened that quickly. When you go scorched earth, that definitely accelerates the timeline. When you go scorched earth, while being part of a locker room that features John Wall and also DeMarcus Cousins, it definitely accelerates your timeline. Because I, you know, um, Stephen Silas said, you know, after practice, it was in James' best interest to stay home. And I don't think that was just because they were trying to get a trade done. I think it pro- it could have gotten ugly at practice, I feel like. That wouldn't have surprised me if some kind of story came out like that. Um, well, John Wall and DeMarcus got- Cousins were done. They were done. At oh, yeah. <laughs> they were very, very done. And DeMarcus Cousins said it straight up like, hey, I, I came here to play with John Wall. And he also mentioned the disrespect that he felt by the way James Harden handled himself off the floor, um, definitely on the floor. And that postgame person from Harden just sealed the deal if it wasn't sealed already. So I, I think it was best for everyone involved to get that deal done as soon as possible. Yeah, I love that DeMarcus Cousins is just as real as it gets when it comes to this stuff. He's just like, yeah, we're not going to play games. I'm just going to say what is on my mind and you can take it or you can leave it. And it's just fantastic. DeMarcus Cousins, please. Uh, I I will always people hate on DeMarcus Cousins. I will always root for DeMarcus Cousins. What a uh, what a just a real dude, a genuine guy. Yeah, I, I respect that he speaks his mind like he he's going to be him. He's going to put in his own work. And like you have to understand where he's coming from specifically with the level, the, the amount of injuries he's dealt with over the last two, three years. And he is now on another team trying to rehabilitate his career. He's on a team that he feels like can do something. You know, there is talent up and down the roster. There's a new coach in tow and the franchise leader is acting a fool for, you know, lack of a better way to phrase it, I can understand why he was as frustrated as he was. And then for Harden to come out and say, like, I've done literally everything I can do after a game where he didn't really move off ball and things of that nature, like, it it came off as a slap to the face and DeMarcus Cousins certainly took it as such. <laughs> the, the clip going around where James Harden just, like, kind of walks around and then just like chucks the ball like way across the court to nobody in particular. And then his teammate, I forget who it was, has to like sprint around it and find yeah. the ball. Like, well, look, what do you James, supposed to do with that? James had kind of called it on his time in Houston. I mean, my guy was getting closer to looking like Rick Ross than like the James Harden. Oh, no. Old, it felt like. Oh, no. Uh, and that's okay. You, you want to get your way out of Houston and do what you have to do? That's fine. But, you, you know, wasn't wasn't the most professional way to go about things. But I'm also not all that worried about him going to Brooklyn and just dominating either. So I'm glad that 
I, I think that everyone succeeded in this deal just to start. Uh, and then, you know, after you kind of give your initial thoughts here, I'll read off what the exact deal was. Uh, I do think everyone got what they wanted. James Harden got to the team that he ultimately wanted to play on. Houston got all kinds of pick capital. Um, and shout out to the Cleveland Cavaliers in particular to kind of swoop again and getting some young talent. So I, I do think everyone made out relatively well in this deal. Okay, so the deal here that we're talking about, James Harden goes from Houston to Brooklyn. Houston gets Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodion Kuruks, three unprotected Brooklyn first round picks. One unprotected Miami first round pick in 2022 and four Brooklyn first round pick swaps. So the first rounders they actually get are 2022, 2024 and 2026. The swaps are 2021, 2023, 2025 and 2027. The Brooklyn Nets get James Harden. They receive or they have traded Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. Torian Prince, Rodion Kuruks, three unprotected first-round picks and four pick swaps. The Indiana Pacers traded Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert and a late second-round pick. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers just swooped in and traded Dante Exum, that unprotected Milwaukee first-round pick next season, and a late second-round pick for Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Uh, it's just like a weird deal. I think it's a very, very strange. Uh, th- there's a lot of strange things here uh, for this to have come together. It says to me that <clears throat> Houston was clearly working on this for a while. Was Like you can't do four team deals in five hours after mm-hmm. James Harden goes scorched earth in a press conference. Right. You had to have at least had some sort of some sort of outline there in terms of what you could get. Let's let's take this from Houston's side first. Houston essentially gets Brooklyn's drafts for the next seven years. Do we think that is enough for a player of James Harden's caliber, especially when you also consider they get Victor Oladipo too, who's you know. At the very least, another trade chip for them is an expiring. I think it's fine. Um, I guess, well, the easy answer is no, because James Harden is a surefire Hall of Famer and one of the best offensive players ever. And it is a very low likelihood that even with those picks being unprotected, it's hard to imagine that the Rockets at any point will draft a player that will be as good as James Harden. And Victor Depot surely isn't as good as James Harden. So through that lens, no. But also, if you're in a position to where James Harden has forced his way out in some, you know, some slightly unprofessional uh, matters, the fact that you were able to get that kind of draft capital, you know, reclaim some of the stuff that you lost in that Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade that was a disaster, I think that is pretty solid asset management. And with Victor and choosing Victor Oladipo over Karis Levert is. I mean, to be frank, that just seems like a, a Tillman move. Like you want to <laughs> give Victor, you want to give Victor Oladipo a trial run, see what he looks like, and then if he is fine but isn't a star level, then you let him go, and you just have you know a clear book moving forward with all that draft capital. So that just sounds like something that he would prioritize over trying to get a younger player. But I, I mean. Again, I think everyone got what they wanted out of it. Houston definitely wanted to keep their books a little clear. They wanted to get some draft capital, and they were able to accomplish that. So ultimately what it comes down to with Houston is, do we think there was a better deal on the table? Because this situation with James Harden, as you kind of said at the top, it was untenable going forward. There was no way that you could allow him uh, after that press conference to come back in the locker room without uh, DeMarcus Cousins probably stepping up to him and causing some issues. So I kind of went through in this big piece that I wrote with Seth Partnow and Danny LaRue. I kind of tried to run through what was the uh, Houston's opportunity cost here. I kind of think that this is my favorite deal that they 
could have gotten. Because at the end of the day, the opportunity cost here is like, maybe they could have gotten Ben Simmons. I think that based off of the reporting, Shams has said that they could have gotten Ben Simmons. So I I believe Shams. I think I would rather have this deal than Ben Simmons, Maxi, and like a few picks. Because Simmons, I don't think that they're going to be able to put a team around Simmons enough to where they're going to be able to compete for a title within the next three to four years. So I would rather have all of the assets that come over the course of those seven years than just Ben Simmons, even though I love Ben Simmons and think he's awesome. I think he's great at basketball and really just kind of an uh, underappreciated and frankly underutilized asset right now in Philadelphia. Do you think that you would have rather had this seal or the Ben Simmons seal from Philly? Uh, I think I still would have rather had Ben Simmons. Um, give me the the young twenty something that is already an All NBA caliber talent and All Defensive Team caliber talent locked in for the next five years. And then you're getting a Tyrese Maxey who I like quite a bit. Um, I don't know what the reporting is on if they wanted Maxey and Tybul or how possible that was. But if it's just if it's just Maxey Simmons and then picks as well. I think that is a very, very good young package. And, you know, just moving down the road, if you don't feel like you can build a team around Ben Simmons, I also feel like you could just flip Simmons and probably get a better package than what they ended up getting for Harden right now, which is, you know, Oladipo, we don't know how long he's going to be there. Um, Kevin O'Connor already reported that apparently Oladipo still wants to end up in Miami somehow. So, those Brooklyn picks are going to have to be, you know, awful for Brooklyn um, moving forward for that to really work out for Houston. And even then, there's no guarantee that the player that they draft is going to be as good as Ben Simmons, much less James Harden. So I, I would rather have the bet on Simmons and Maxie and picks. Yeah, it's definitely a bet that this Brooklyn thing could combust a bit earlier than what people think, right? Uh, all of... Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. They expire following next season potentially because they all have player options for the 2022-2023 season. If this doesn't work, it's going to there are going to be a couple of lean years, let's say, in Brooklyn. Uh, mm-hmm. Having said that, one risk to this deal that I think went like a little bit underrated within and I do think that this is still the deal I would have done even given this risk factor. Brooklyn has proven itself now at this point to just be a player destination, to be somewhere that players want to play, to be somewhere that uh players want to live, right? Mm-hmm. Like guys just continue to go to Brooklyn. I know that they had the down seasons after the Kevin Garnett and uh, Paul Pierce deal, but this is not that deal. Uh, these guys are way better and closer in their primes uh, or closer to their primes, frankly, still in their primes, given the way Kevin Durant has played this year uh, than Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce were, right? So I don't think that that, that risk, I think, is relatively minimal barring injury. What I do think is real, though, is like the risk for Houston that – Okay, even if this breaks up after 2022-2023 and all three of those guys leave, Brooklyn still has max cap space and is still just like an absolute player destination for guys that want to live in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that feels like a bit of a problem with this deal that maybe is going slightly underrated. Uh, and yet it's still the deal I would have done because I think that it's just... Again, like if you're not going to be able to compete in the next three years with Ben Simmons, you're putting yourself then on the clock before having to move him again. Plus, your roster right now doesn't really actualize him at all. Uh, it doesn't really like make him better because Christian Wood isn't really a shooter. John Wall isn't a shooter. Like you need to surround Ben with shooters and it's probably going to take you a year to even just get a roster that fits with Ben Simmons. And then it's going to take you a couple other years to build up a roster that works with Ben Simmons. So 
I just kind of think that it would have been spinning their wheels at the end of the day. Okay. I think that's definitely a fair argument. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I guess I am just, I mean, we, we've talked about Ben Simmons on the pot before. You know how high I am on Ben Simmons. So I do think having to, having to guarantee that is Ben Simmons as young as he is and being locked in, I would still rather take that risk in trying to build around him and knowing what I have in that versus, you know, clearing the cap space of depot leaves, hoping that things blow up in Brooklyn and they don't get a guy in free agency. And then having those picks be, you know, in the top five, top six or whatever, drafting those guys and then hoping that those guys turn into something. I feel like there's there's going to be some wheel spinning either way. And I would rather have my wheels spinning with a guy like Ben Simmons, what I know he is. I know what his value is. I know what it's going to take to build around him versus, I guess, the unknown. I think that's where I'm at with it. Let's talk about a couple of the other ones before we move to Brooklyn, because Brooklyn's is interesting. Uh, Denver theoretically could have offered Michael Porter Jr. I, I haven't heard anything about if Denver potentially did that or not. I don't really see that as a better deal than this because Michael Porter Jr. is still kind of a wild card. Let's say that. Uh, yes. And then on top of it, their core is so much younger with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray that those picks are just going to be a bit less valuable and have a bit less upside. So even if you do Michael Porter plus like Den- like five or six of Denver's drafts coming up, mm-hmm. I still think that because Jokic and Murray are so young, that's probably just a bit less valuable than this Brooklyn one where there is real upside for this whole thing to fall apart a little bit. Uh, it might not in it, they could end up with five picks in the twenties, right? But I kind of think that I would rather go with the chance that this falls apart and that you could get some real upside. Boston, I, it's a good question. Like, would you offer Jalen Brown for James Harden? I I was actually doing this thought exercise with myself a little bit earlier today. I don't think I would have done it. Um. I don't think I don't see a way for Boston to do it comfortably without finding a thirteen for Kemba. Just because I don't know, once you get into a playoff setting, I don't know how much you want to trust a Kemba Harden backcourt against the teams that really matter. Um, and Jalen Brown has just been fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know he's upward trajectory. He's on a contract that's already looking like a steal for him. And then it would be him and, I guess, Marcus Smart, who is really good and one of the foundational pieces of their defense. And then adding picks on top of that, I have been one that has clowned Danny Ainge for being gun-shy in my eyes. But I think on this particular deal, I think he made the right decision to kind of bow out. Um, I I don't think this was the deal for him to make. Yeah, I I would not have dealt Jalen Brown for James Harden, given the way Jalen has looked this year. And on top of that, uh, if... Again, it's kind of a similar deal to Denver where if you're trying to do like all of Boston's next seven drafts or something, because they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, those drafts are just going to be a bit less valuable than Brooklyn potentially falling apart a little bit. I kind of think that that's those are the teams like those were the four or five teams that like you could really make a case for. Did anyone else really stand out? Like, I don't think that. Portland probably would have gotten involved. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that Milwaukee had the assets to get involved following the Drew Holiday deal. Uh, you know, like, I don't think Miami really wanted to get involved. So it's just hard to find the right team for Houston to connect with. So I think this is as well as they realistically could have done. I totally think that it's a reasonable case, though, that Ben Simmons would have been a better deal. Let's talk about Brooklyn. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it, in the process. This is going to hide your location 
from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Brooklyn now has James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Uh, I'm going to point some people to your podcast with Steve Jones. Uh, just go over to Nikias NBA on Twitter and you'll find that podcast. You guys did a pretty big X's and O's deep dive on this. Uh, so I'll point them there, but I guess I'll just ask you, how do we think that this James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving mixture goes? Because I'm actually kind of exceptionally high on it working. I am pretty high on the fit. Like offensively, it's going to be pretty seamless. Um, I think having Mike D'Antoni there and his influence on the offense, um, a lot of the stuff that Brooklyn runs is stuff that James Harden has run in Houston with D'Antoni. So I think the fit's going to be pretty seamless there. And I mean, just even if you strip it away from there, James Harden is one of the best offensive players ever. Kevin Durant is one of the best offensive players ever. Kyrie Irving is one of the best offensive players ever. All three of those guys are elite shooters um, as far as spot ups or especially off the bounce. Like James Harden has become an offense onto himself because of step backs. I think having those three guys as fail safes, like they can run their pistol action early in offense or go to the post split stuff or whatever. But if things break down and there's eight on the shot clock and you just need a guy to ISO, Kevin Durant can do that. Kyrie Irving can do that. James Harden can do that. And then when one of those guys is isolating, the other two are like spotting up and you can't help at all. So I think it's going to be terrifying for opposing defenses because there really isn't a way to defend them. And I have my questions defensively. Because that's going to be that's going to be asking a lot of Kevin Durant as a weak side guy. That's going to be asking a lot of DeAndre Jordan. Um, we've seen Kyrie improve his effort defensively this year. Like he's solid when he's engaged, but he's not a major plus there. Um, something that I talked about on the pod and something that I wrote about earlier today is that when you have James Harden on your roster, you are a switch team point blank period. So that's going to put a little bit extra strain on a guy like DeAndre Jordan if teams target Harden and pick and roll in that way. Uh, it's going to be tight on the other end. And uh, the stat, I think, is still that the Nets have not won a game in which they haven't scored at least 120 points. I think that's probably still going to be necessary with the personnel that they have. Um, so we will just see if they can up their level defensively. So, yes, 
I have the same concerns defensively that you do. And I really think that they're going to have a lot of problems defensively, uh, like a, <laughs> a lot of problems. Because like you said, when you have James Harden, you basically have to switch because he does not care to defend on the backside of actions. Uh, you need to keep him engaged somehow. But with DeAndre Jordan being your interior defender, uh, you basically have to run a drop coverage scenario at this point. So yes. in the playoffs, I think that will work itself out a bit better because there's really only a couple of teams that you're going to have to play DeAndre against. Realistically, you're going to have to play him against Philadelphia. If you run into Philadelphia, like period point blank, Joel Embiid, you need DeAndre on the court, Mm -hmm. but I kind of think that if you have DeAndre on the court, I don't know that Philly's shooters and ball handlers are going to be able to beat you as bad as they have to, uh, for Joel to just be like the most dominant player on the interior, uh, against a DeAndre Jordan specifically, who is still a good post defender. Uh, and then on top of it, you still have to deal with Brooklyn's offense that can just absolutely annihilate you. I think, uh, I'm with you. The offense is going to be absolutely outrageous, even though Kyrie and James Harden don't love moving without the ball. It almost doesn't matter because they are three of the absolutely elite level shooters in the NBA, like point blank. Mm -hmm. These are three of the best shooters in the NBA. This is not like trying to make a big three with Russell Westbrook work. It's not even like trying to make a big three with Dwayne Wade work. Even if those guys stand above the break and just wait for shots and that's all they have to do while they watch Kevin Durant go to work in the mid post. Defenders have to cling to them. Like defenders have to stay attached to them because if they don't, it's curtains. They're going to make open three pointers. What? 40 to 45% clip, right? Like those three right. guys. I mean, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. I think how good this offense has a chance to be. It's those three. And then Joe Harris is still there who has been really good this year. And, DeAndre Jordan obviously isn't who he used to be, but he is still a guy that can get busy as a role man, or you can just park him in the dunker spot, and he's your live threat if either of those guys get downhill. So I don't think there's – you just have to have elite-level personnel to defend Brooklyn. And even then, you know, Kevin Durant has been feasting off of contested shots all year. Um, Kyrie Irving can knock down just about anything off the dribble. James Harden, again, those step backs, you can defend them well, and it just kind of doesn't matter. Um, you you basically have to pray for off nights against Brooklyn at this point. They just have way too many weapons. Yeah, they're, they're never going to have an off night offensively because worst case scenario, one of those three guys doesn't play well. Even if two of the three don't play well, you're going to get a good night from one of the three. The big thing mm -hmm. that I think we should consider here is – well, there are two things. So first, if Kyrie Irving is not himself, let's say, or is off doing community organizing for whatever, shout out Kyrie, by the way. Uh, great that he joined a community organizing Zoom call. I'm not going to talk shit about that. I think it was great for Kyrie to do that. I am interested to hear what you think a James Harden, Kevin Durant, big two looks like as opposed to it just being three, because then you start to have to worry about finding two wings instead of one. Um, I think in a vacuum, this is one of the benefits of trading for James Harden is that if Kyrie isn't himself or if Kyrie just doesn't come back, you know, James Harden has carried arguably the largest offensive load in the lead over the last four years, five years. So I do think you're still going to be in a position to where if you stagger it, white, stagger it right, you're going to have 48 minutes of Kevin Durant or James Harden on the floor. Um, I think if Kyrie isn't back, you're going to need another ball handler. Um, I am still surprised that a guy like Shabazz Napier hasn't been picked up. Like I'm sure he, could, he can get you 14 minutes or something somewhere. But I do think it gets a little thin there in terms of creation. Um, if Harden does have a bad shooting night, then the offense kind of gets in dire straits in terms of shot creation. You know, you're not going to ask Joe Harris to do that. You're not going to ask Landry Shamit to do that. And Shamit has been oddly bad this year. 
Um, that's where you miss Spencer Dinwiddie being out. Karis LeVert is obviously in Indiana right now. Um, it puts Brooklyn's depth under more of a microscope if Kyrie isn't back. But again, I mean, even then, you're still replacing like Karis LeVert with James Harden. Like, I, I don't think you're going to miss that too much. Well, and like we should talk about the Karis of it all at some point because I really like Karis and I think he's awesome. Um, and I think that was a great deal for Indiana to grab him in this deal. But Karis didn't have a place on this roster anymore <laughs> at this point. Like there, there is not going to be enough ball for four of those guys when three of them have a 30 usage rate, right? Yeah. That's okay. And I think that using Karis in a deal like this made a lot of sense. I am something of a believer in Jeff Green, actually. Like, I think he was really good for Houston last year in the playoffs. Like, I think people are kind of forgetting that based off of, like, Jeff Green, the totality of his career, especially early on where he wasn't quite the sum of what his athletic parts would be. He's kind of settled in really nicely as, like, being a fifth option on the court who doesn't try to do too much, who knocks down open threes, and is a big physical body who teams can use defensively. And he has that little bit of synergy, I would imagine, from having to deal with James Harden previously defensively to where he's going to know where he has to be defensively on the court to cover Mm -hmm. for Harden. He's going to be able to kind of help KD and Kyrie and all those guys figure out, hey, this is where James is going to fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess my hesitation there, I do agree with you. Jeff Green was very good for Houston last year, and he's been pretty good this year. It's just... There is such a long sample of relying on Jeff Green and that not really working out. And that's kind of why I'm a little skeptical of relying on him to take an even bigger role now. Uh, So maybe that's just something that I have to work through. Like, I do think you make a fair case. I think Jeff Green is going to help a lot. And as you mentioned, as we talk about the playoff matchups, you know, if Brooklyn faces Miami or something and Miami's handoffs are giving DeAndre Jordan trouble, they can slide in Jeff Green at the five. Um, Bam Adebayo has improved, but I'm still I still don't think he's at the point to where he is a number one option on offense to where he's gonna you know he's gonna average 22, 25 consistently and kind of threaten Jeff Green in that way going getting downhill. So I think they could probably survive having a more mobile guy like Green defending him. So I I agree with you. I am just a little reluctant to do so just because of the Jeff Green track record. But I, I definitely get where you're coming from. Yeah, and like, yeah, Landry Shamit's been terrible this year. I still think Landry Shamit can shoot, at least. Like, I know he's shooting 30% from three or whatever. I think mm-hmm. that'll turn. TLC, like, has actually been useful at times this year as well. They have enough options, and plus this is going to be, like, the premier buyout destination, I think, now. So... I'm kind of into it. Like, I'm just saying, like, I'm actually a little bit into the way that this could work. Um, let's move to the other two teams in this deal because I find them interesting. Indiana essentially moves Victor Oladipo for Karis Levert. I thought there was no way that the Pacers were going to get more than like a mid to late first round pick for Victor Oladipo. And instead, Karis Levert, who I think is well worth like multiple first round picks, like a lottery pick in a late first. Like I am a big Karis LeVert fan. Uh, he continues to get better every single year. Mm. I, I'm stunned that Indiana was able to do this. Uh, I, I think LeVert is going to be a perfect fit next to Malcolm Brogdon. He's on a deal that is worth less than what he's actually worth. Uh, Cause he signed that extension that is worth about 17 and a half million a year. Where are you at on Indiana getting Karis LeVert for Victor Oladipo? Because I think it's just a an incredible move for them. Um, I think from an asset management standpoint, it's a home run for them. Um, I think it was pretty clear that Victor Oladipo was not going to resign in Indiana. Um, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, I don't think it wouldn't surprise me if Victor Oladipo was elsewhere at the end of this season for Houston. So being able to turn a guy that you're not going to keep into Karis LeVert, who is locked in this year and I think two years after that, and he's younger than Victor Oladipo and pretty good in his own right, I think that's a fantastic job by Indiana swooping in. Um, I am 
a little lower on the fit, or rather, I'll just say I'm in wait and see mode on yeah. the fit. Um, maybe it's a little bit skewed by Levert trying to find his place on this Brooklyn team with Kyrie and KD, you know, soaking up a lot of the possessions. But Karis Levert dribbles a lot, man. <laughs> he he dribbles a whole lot. And the shooting has gotten better. And he's always been the guy that's more comfortable with pull-ups than spot-ups. But I still want to see a little bit more from the shot before I believe in it. And just looking at Indiana's offense, like it, it runs through Sabonis. He'll post up or they'll run those um, those high dribble handoffs. But a lot of their offense is predicated on those quick hitters, those quick decisions, those quick cuts, and they touching the paint and kicking it out. And Levert is a guy that wants to march to the beat of his own drum. And he can do that, especially when he gets rolling. Like we saw in the postseason last year when Brooklyn had no one, he was getting his and then, you know, catching double teams and then kicking out. And he can do that. But I need to see more growth from him as a quick decision maker before I fully believe in the fit in Indy. And I think that's why I'm a little bit lower on the fit. I'm a little bit lower on the on-court fit. So with Levert, I totally get what you're saying. And he does dribble a shit ton. And the issue there with Brogdon is that Brogdon also has a has a tendency to get a bit sticky with the ball sometimes. Uh, yes. Again, I think, though, that both of them, when they are specifically told to operate in a secondary role, I think both of them make relatively quick decisions now i think that's been one of the leaps that i've seen from lavert over the course of the last year so including the bubble and what we've seen so far yes a lot of his assist numbers come from just over dribbling right and then making the pass Hmm. but i think he's actually gotten a lot better at seeing the passes that are available to him i think he's gotten a lot better at stopping slowing down and pick and roll, letting the play happen around him and then finding the right pass. Like he can actually hit a cross corner kick pass out of pick and roll. Now he has, he had really good synergy with Jared Allen uh, Mm -hmm. out of ball screens where like he'd hit pocket passes to him. He was really good with lobs to Allen. And yeah, part of that had to do with him being the guy like Brooklyn, just let him run the second unit. They were just like, okay, to keep you happy because we essentially have to bring you off the bench with all of the guys that we have. We're just going to let you get all of the shots with this second unit. And we're going to let you have all of the possessions. And I think that he was trying to figure out what his role was. I totally agree with you there. I think that was very astute. I also think though, that when he was in a secondary role, I kind of liked some of the quick decisions. Like he'd drive the ball and then stop on like a jump stop and then make like a kick out to Joe Harris or something like that. I think that it, I think he has the potential to not be as over dribbly as he has been so far uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And I think that if he can if he can find that happy medium, he's really useful. Like this is the kind of guy that helps you in the playoffs because NBA players can't stay in front of him. Like it, it's actually surprising how shifty and how. Uh, sudden he has wicked crossovers he has great hesitation mm. moves he lives in the paint and has like a pretty good pull-up game from the mid-range area he's still working on the three-point shot which is weird because he shot over 40 percent all three of his final years at michigan it karis lavert shooting being what it has been in the nba is one of the weird evaluation things that I've never been able to wrap my head around as a draft evaluator. The fact that he has never been a good NBA three point shooter, but I kind of think that he's going to be able to find that happy medium. Like he's shown the ability to be a crazy on ball creator. I mean, this guy averaged 20 points per game in each of the last two playoff series. He's been a part of the first one was a lot better where he was playing next to D'Angelo Russell as a secondary creator. He averaged 21 points and averaged it on like a 60% true shooting percentage last year. It was a sub 50 true shooting percentage while, you know, he had nobody around him except for Jared Allen, basically. But during that time, he averaged almost 10 assists per game in the playoffs as well. 
And I think that that's where the leap is coming. I think he's figuring out passing at the NBA level to where he doesn't have to take those like fucking disaster shots anymore. And when you put him around guys like Damanis Sabonis and Miles Turner, he hasn't really had guys like that. Like he's never had a pick and pop guy like Turner. He's never had a creative pick and roll DHO guy like Sabonis. They're going to open up even more space for him, I think. I think that is all fair. You actually sold me a little bit. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't doubt his talent. Um, I want him to stay upright, you know, build on those progressions that you've mentioned. I just want to see a little bit more of it. And if he does showcase that on a consistent level, then I'm all in. Again, Indiana turning a guy that they were going to lose into someone that's locked in for three years is a great deal for them. And if Karis LeVert is able to build off of, you know, the playoff series, able to build, you know, get comfortable in a role and excel in it, then this is going to end up being even more of a home run for Indy. Yeah, and I really am trying to figure out why Houston did this, and I just can't, right? Like, I I cannot figure out why uh, they would rather have Oladipo than LeVert. Uh, it, it's just bizarre it's to me on a number of levels. I, I can't think of anything outside of Oladipo being an expiring and Levert being locked in. Like this, that's what I said earlier in the pod. Like I feel like this is that's Tillman's stamp on this deal. Is what I think because I can't think of anything else. Like I mean, Levert is locked in. He's younger. Like the shooting isn't that different between Levert and Oladipo to where you say I'm only I'm choosing Oladipo solely because of the shooting fit alongside Wall. Yeah, Oladipo's like probably a little, can... bit, a little bit more consistent as a shooter, as a pull-up mm-hmm. shooter specifically, than Levert is. But, yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? It's it's very weird. That's why I'm, it, it has to be... I can't think of anything else other than the money. And, like, it's easy to joke about that with Tillman Fertitta. But, like, I quite literally cannot think of another reason that makes sense. Yeah, if I knew how to do drops... Um, like if I knew how to uh, like put in sound, I would just put in Kendrick Perkins yelling Tillman for Tito. <laughs> oh man, I, there are a lot of names that Kendrick Perkins does this with, and it's it is funny. Like Tillman is just a funny character in general in the NBA skate. Love it, I love it so much. Um, okay. So the last team here is Cleveland. You mentioned that you really like this deal from Cleveland's perspective. Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince are going to Cleveland. The Torian Prince thing is weird because he just is not as good as what he was early on in Atlanta. Uh, maybe he just never was all that good in Atlanta and just like had a couple of aberrant, like 38% shooting years at six foot eight, but he's just been not very good uh, over the course of his time in Brooklyn. And he frankly was not very good in that last year uh, in Atlanta because the defense was just a nightmare. I don't think that this deal is to acquire Torian Prince. It's clearly to acquire Jarrett Allen. Look, there, there are a lot of jokes to be made about Cleveland having like six centers on their roster right now, but Jared Allen, I think, is the one that matters because he actually fits the age timeline of Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, um, Isaac Okoro, Kevin Porter, those, those four guys that are their real core. If you want to throw in Dylan Windler, I, I guess that I would allow that, but uh, we need to see more <laughs> from Dylan going forward. Um, Fair enough. Allen gives them something that they haven't really had because the one thing that Andre Drummond isn't really uh, is a true like pick and roll gravitational threat because he's not a good enough finisher around the basket. He's pretty dexterous in DHOs and like can do some stuff with his mobility and is like, okay, whenever he gets a free lane to an offensive rebound, but He's not quite as good just as a screener and then a dive guy to the basket. He hasn't really gotten that sense of timing down. And he hasn't really gotten that uh, true explosiveness that you need down to like high point the basketball. Jared Allen's really good at that. And I think he is someone that has real gravitational pull going toward the rim. And I think that that is going to be exceptionally helpful for Cleveland. And then, you know, 
you can talk about the defense, but I think from a team building perspective, Jared Allen is the kind of guy that they should be trying to pair Colin Sexton and Darius Garland with. Yeah, it's it's a home run because of the Allen fit. Um, as you mentioned, fantastic in pick and roll. Um, defensively, has the mobility to play higher up in screens if they wanted to. Um, Brooklyn kind of ran him as basically ran like a one man zone with him during the Kenny Atkinson era. Just kind of park him at the basket, um, block shots with the throw with the arms. Uh, I think he's going to fit in pretty well with their drop when he is the primary big. And, you know, if we're talking, again, asset management, you get a guy like Jared Allen that I, he gets paid, I think, this summer or next. But he fits the timeline, and now it makes it easier for you to search for deals for Andre Drummond, whether at the deadline or if it's going to be a signing trade this summer. Um, it makes it easier to move a guy like JaVale McGee, who has been doing some really fun stuff this year. And fun is in taking the ball coast to coast and it actually working sometimes, which is comical. But, uh, you know, all those centers aren't going to be there. Jared Allen is the one that matters. He's going to be locked in pretty soon. And I think he is a fantastic fit for both of those guys on both ends. Yeah. And look, one part of this is that Jared Allen basically has to play a drop coverage scheme. And Colin Sexton and Darius Garland both need to get better at getting over the top of screens. Like, they're just not very good at it right now. They're both very skinny. Uh, they both really just get caught on the vine in a way that kind of breaks down the defense. But Cleveland has been pretty frisky defensively. Like, they're fighting on defense this year. They're battling. Like, they're really... It's part of why they've actually gotten off to a 5-5 five and five start. They're third in defensive rating in the NBA right now. So, if they can figure out a way to make that uh, the first part of those ball screens work... I kind of think this is really good. Like, I think that this is exactly what they should be looking for. And to move what is essentially a late first round pick, because Milwaukee is going to have Giannis next season. Uh, right. It's just kind of a home run for them. Like, there, there was no reason not to do this uh, for them, because getting a starting center who has potential to be like a top 15 center in the NBA, I think it's not that easy to do. At the end of the first round, even though there are centers all over the place in the NBA now, having one that can be like an actual upside center that fits with your core, that's like the best that you can hope to do with that number 25 to 30 overall pick. Completely agree. And you know, I like what Cleveland is building. Um, I mean, you just talked about the perimeter defense. Like, I think that's the real holdup in falling in love with this core because Darius Garland is finally looking comfortable. He's finally looking aggressive with the ball, which is huge for him. Colin Sexton is an absolute bucket. Um, my take with Cleveland is that they are they have built the perfect team for a number one option to fall into. Yep. So, you know, they're, they got off to a good start. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. If they are able to once again get the number one overall pick, like this is a prime spot for Cade Cunningham because he is the – He's the wing creator that they're missing that kind of slots everyone into their natural roles. And then you are looking at one fantastic young core. Oh, if they get Cade, I'm all in on Cleveland. Um, could could not be more in on Cleveland if they end up with Cade. Um, I do think they would have to trade one of Sexton or Garland because Cade's a point guard. Like he's just straight, like he's wing sized, but he's a lead guard. Um, he's perfect to play with Sexton. Like he's the exact guard. If you were building one in a lineup in a, in a laboratory, you would build Cade Cunningham to play with Colin Sexton, but, uh, or Darius Garland, frankly, as well. Like if you decide Garland's the one you want to keep, I totally get that as well. But, Man, I would love that core so much. The, the other guy I want to point out here is I, I just want to continue to effusively praise Larry Nance. Larry Nance is really good. <laughs> He's, He's just, so, so good. He is very, very. Yeah. I was going to say uh, in the way too early defensive player of the year running. Like he's he's in that second tier of uh, candidates, I feel like. Yep. Um, he at last check he was lead the league in steals, but like he can defend everyone. Yep, and it, it's kind of wild how well he moves um, at his size. 
It just just fills all kind of gaps. Um, he has been tremendous in kind of setting the tone on that end and covering up a lot of holes defensively. Yeah, like if I was Denver, I would be like going all out to try and get Larry Nance right now. Uh, if I was honestly, if I was Charlotte, like Charlotte makes a lot of sense for Larry Nance, I think, because of their emotion offense. Like that's the other thing about Nance too. He can initiate offensive sets like from the perimeter and DHOs and like you can just give him the ball at the top and he can make really high level passing reads. Uh, mm-hmm. Shooting 42% from three on four threes a game so far this year. Like That's huge. <laughs> he's he's turning himself into a legit like top 15, top 20, like center-ish guy in the NBA. It's it's really kind of staggering. I know he plays the four next to Drummond a lot. I think you could play him at the five in like a super switchable lineup. Everything about Larry Nance, uh, man, I-, I was skeptical of that deal at the time, but holy shit, is he just awesome. He is so good at basketball. He does every single thing that you want your center slash big man to do in today's NBA. He is there aren't a good, enough good things you can say about Larry Nance, especially if the three-point shooting is real. Yeah, um, My take, it was either preseason or like within the first game or so of the season, was that Larry Nance Jr. is Cleveland's best player. I'm not sure how hot of a take that is, but it's looking less hot the way that he performs on both ends of the floor at this point. I, yeah, I think he is, um, I don't I don't know. Like, it's hard with Sexton because, like, it's just it's really hard to find guys who can average 25 points per game on, like, a 60 true shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. Like, having that guy who can create, like, we can shit talk his passing as much as we want to, but it's just hard to find guys that can do that at the end of the day. Like, I think that I would. St- I don't know. It's tough. I think I would still say Colin by a hair, but Nance is really good. And like, that's the conversation. Like Larry Nance is as valuable as a guy that is averaging 25 points a game right now. Yeah. That, I mean, that says enough about his value. The fact that it's a, if it's a discussion for you, that's, that's all I needed. Yeah. Like, no, like I, I don't, I don't think that's a hot take. I think he's really good. Um, I think he's like definitely better than Andre Drummond. Like I don't, I don't even think it's like, I know that Drummond's averaging like 18 and 15 and three and the numbers look great. It, he's a lot better than Drummond, I think, because defensively, he's just all over the place. He is, he is kind of their scheme defensively right now. And they're top yeah. three defense in part because of him. Yeah. So how, I'll, I'll ask you this, how much of Andre Drummond's season this year is real for you? And I'm leaving that intentionally vague so you can kind of take it however you want to go with it. I, I think this is who he is. Like this, this isn't too far from who he is. He's been better defensively than what I think he's ever been in his career. Right. He's still averaging four turnovers a game. He's still shooting 47% from the field. Like this is, this is who Drummond has always been. He's always been one of the absolutely great rebounders in today's NBA. He's also always been one of the least efficient guys who gets a majority around of his shots around the basket and who turns the ball over in an obscene number of ways. Uh, I don't really think he's a playoff player. I, I would not really. Like, I don't know if I was a playoff team that I would give up a first-round pick for him. I probably would not, to be honest. Okay, fair enough. I mean, what do you That's, think? I, uh, I mostly mirror what you think on that. Um, the finishing has always been weird with me. Because, like, I've always given him a little bit of rope because a lot of his misses at the rim have been contested and then they're, like, the offensive rebound tip-in type things. Right. And that that can kind of skewer the field goal percentage a little bit. But it is weird that he isn't better as a role man. Like, he seems like he's much better in, like, short roll situations than, like, just a regular high ball screen. And that's always been weird considering just the size and the length. 
Um, the turnovers are a problem, but he can pass. So I kind of go back and forth between how much I like him with the ball in his hands because there aren't many passes that he can't make, but also there are there aren't any passes that he won't try, and that's kind of a problem. <laughs> so, so I I may disagree on giving up a first for Drummond, like. Like Milwaukee doesn't need Andre Drummond, but a, but like a team in that tier, if their if their hole is center, like a team that expects to draft between like twenty four and thirty. Well, so so like here's I, the here's the obvious one here is Toronto, right? If you're Toronto and you think you can still relatively compete right now, and you're just getting very little from the center position, like we can talk about like Chris Boucher giving them pretty good minutes over the course of the last couple weeks, but. He's still not like the answer at center, right? Would you give up a first round pick for Andre Drummond if you were Toronto and specifically trying to fix that position? Oh, man. Like in a vacuum, I think he helps. Like I would love to see him running dribble handoff stuff with Kyle Lowry. Like I, that would just yeah. be incredibly difficult to deal with. I mean, put it this way: if he's if he's not helping Toronto with what they're getting from the center position right now, he's not going to help anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I think in a vacuum, yes, I think he's good enough to warrant that kind of gamble. I would worry about the pick this year, assuming that they have it, just because they've already started out so poorly. Yep. So them correcting it. Maybe a what forty two and thirty team or whatever is it, that's probably high. What is it? Th- right. So thirty eight, thirty four, something like that. So like you're looking at a middle first round pick, and I think that is probably a little bit rich for Andre Drummond. Yeah, but like, like I, if, I think Toronto should be trying to fix their center position, like just full stop. Um, but I, I don't think I would do Drummond if I was them. Like I. When, once Onyeka Akongwu starts playing like real minutes for Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. I think that they're going to maybe quickly determine that Clint Capella can can be moved on a little bit, maybe. Um, okay. So, like that might be someone I might look at versus Drummond. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of like a couple other guys, maybe like um, I wouldn't hate them taking a flyer on Marvin Bagley honestly and just like seeing what they can wring out of him if he like ends up forcing his way out of Sacramento slash Sacramento gives up on him because I think that would be the more apt description given the way that uh, Bagley has played this season Uh, it'd be more situation of giving up than him being able to force his way out James Harden style We we got Marvin Bagley trying to pull a James Harden move here by the way like this is what's happening in the NBA right now we have, we have Marvin Bagley's dad trying to get get, get uh, Bagley the third out of there. It's it's very it's been a very ba- it's been a bad season for him, obviously. But like it's just weird because coming out of college, he's just one of the best finishers in the sport. And this yeah. year, it just feels like he can't hit anything. Yeah, and that's really concerning for me because yeah, Zach- I'm not sure what to do. By the way, anyone who ever saw. Marvin Bagley Jr., so Marvin Bagley the third's father, on the AAU circuit, nobody is surprised by this turn of events. Put it that way. <laughs> no, nobody is surprised that Marvin Bagley, uh, Marvin nice. Bagley's father is trying to push him out of Sacramento. <laughs> Just a, uh, Ooh, a wa- sounds wild like story person. time for another pod. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> oh, like he, he would like get in like see, arguments see, with I people see. in the stands and but stuff. Yeah, the- like it was crazy. Ooh, yeah, you can't do that. That's not a thing you can do. Yeah, it was, it was like the front court in general for Sacramento is just interesting to me. Like they haven't gotten much out of Bagley. Like Hassan Whiteside had a good week and then he's been awful. Rashawn Holmes has been really good and he's shooting like eighty percent on that push shot. And I don't know how he's making it as consistently as he does, but. I don't know. Well, the, the front court room is weird. The Kings in general are just weird. The guy that is like kind of holding their front court together right now is Harrison Barnes playing the four. Um, 
Barnes, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast that I've come late, coming later this week. Barnes has actually been like staggeringly good this year, given what our priors were on Harrison Barnes. Like he's been really effective defensively. He's been uh, knocking down 40% of his threes. He's not like domineering possessions at times. Like he sometimes could do when he was like in ISO Harrison Barnes mode when he first got to Sacramento and when he was playing in Dallas, like Harrison's actually been like a critical part for them this season. Uh, And look, they're still five and seven. So like, this is not a great team, but uh, Mm -hmm. Harrison Barnes has been really good this year too. Good for him, man. Good for him turning it around. Uh, I hate that it happens in a season like this um, with some extracurriculars around the team happening as he's having his having his bounce back year. But good for him. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you, have, do you have anything else you want to point out across the NBA before we get out of here? Um, COVID stinks. I think that's the easy one. It's terrible. Um, I miss watching the Phoenix Suns. I, I would like to see them come back. I was really looking forward to seeing a Chris Paul versus Trey Young matchup, and that got postponed. And now the Sun, other Suns games are getting postponed. Like Mikael Bridges has been one of my favorite players to watch this year. So not being able to watch him play basketball has saddened me just a little bit. Um, other than that. Uh, I would say Steph Curry has been phenomenal. It's great that he's put his yeah. foot, you know, put the pedal to the metal there. He's really forcing the issue a lot more. If for the love of God, Kelly Oubre, when Steph Curry gives up the ball and relocates to the corner, please set the set the flare of the hammer for him. Please do it. He hasn't done it once. Ke- Kelly looks a bit lost in Golden State so far. <laughs> looks, yes, yes, he looks does. a bit lost. <laughs> uh man, I. I feel for him, but also, like, we are almost a month into the season. And, like, that is just the staple with Steph. Like, gives it up early, runs to the corner. The guy that's already in the corner just steps up, sets that screen, and it's a corner three for Steph. And, like, you know, Andrew Wiggins wasn't doing it either, but he's kind of figured it out. Like, Juan Toscano Anderson has already figured it out. It feels like the only person that has not figured out what Steph wants to do after he gives it up is Kelly Oubre. And I'm just not sure how much longer that's going to take. Yeah. Or how much longer it's going to last in Golden State. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Mikhail Bridges, I'm working on updated rookie scale rankings right now. I I think that people are going to be pretty staggered by where I have Mikhail Bridges. (laughs) It is. It is high. It is very, very high in these rankings. He is just, he is the guy uh, that not nearly enough people know about who is going to affect winning uh, at just an exceptionally high level throughout the course of his career uh, as it goes forward. Mikael Bridges is awesome. He is awesome. Um, I am pro let Mikael Bridges do stuff with the ball, like let him expand because we already know what he provides as a cutter. We know what he provides as a shooter. Everyone and their mothers know what he provides as a defender at this point. I want to see him experiment a little bit more with the ball. Don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get now that, you know, Chris Paul is there, Devin Booker is there. But, you know, let him build that out and let him turn himself into one of the most valuable wings in the league. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. Nikias, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people about your podcast. Just tell the people what's going on. Ah, well, you can find my work at basketballnews.com. Um, that's where you find all my written work. You will also find my brand spanking new podcast that I am hosting with Steve Jones Jr., former NBA assistant coach, former video coordinator. We chop it up. We plan to chop it up every Monday. I'm just going going through a few teams, going through a few players, see who's impressing us, who isn't, dig into the X's and O's of what's happening on the floor for you know the teams that we discuss. Um, we just had the emergency pod drop, um, I guess technically this morning. Um, we broke that broke that down from just about every layer, like what kind of sets Brooklyn's going to run to kind of engage their big three. Um, we talked about the Karis LeVert fit in Indy, the Victor Oladipo fit in Houston. So that's the kind of content we're bringing every Monday. Um, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on all those good podcast apps. So you can find us there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at NBA. 
um, basketball takes, puns, uh, SpongeBob references, all that good stuff. And that is all I got. Go follow Nikias. Just one of my absolute favorite people to follow uh, regarding basketball content intakes. It is uh, staggering the amount of fun stuff and also just really informative stuff that he puts out into the world. So go follow him. Go subscribe to The Athletic. We have got uh, a bunch of stuff on James Harden up there. I have also written a big breakdown with Seth Partnow and Danny LaRue, so you can go find that. Uh, and then I have rookie scale rankings coming up at some point this month. I don't necessarily know when. Uh, I'm just working through writing. Uh, I have all of the back-end work done already. I just need to sit down and actually put them uh, into the internet like into our back end so at some point in the next month they'll come out i would think uh and i'll have a actual big board a top 100 board coming also at some point in the next month uh it'll just depend on the workflow for me with uh with the rookie scale rankings but until next time we will talk soon bye (laughs) 